Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, John Hansen. Now, I have to tell you, you've been tuning in in great numbers to uh, listen to our Procurement Unplugged series and what we call the three most important questions for 2015. Recently, we had uh, on uh, the show uh, the uh, head of ISM, uh, Tom Derry, who provided a very interesting take on it. But I, I have to tell you, the reason we're posing these questions, and by, by no means are they certainly the only questions, uh, we're, we're asking them based upon what you've told us is interesting to you, but there are certainly going to be other questions beyond that point. But what we've wanted to do is to try to create a lens through which, or a common lens through which you could view different elements and different areas of the industry, whether it be the association, whether it be a, a procurement professional, a leading expert such as a Dr. Robert Hanfield or Kate Vitasek, or in this case, one of our new wave 2015 companies, uh, go bonfire. And, and, you know, it's an interesting perspective going down this route with a vendor for a number of reasons. And uh, I'll uh, be bringing and welcoming to the show uh, the uh, bonfire CEO, Corey Flatt, in just a few moments. But w- what's interesting is, is far too often in the industry, we look at the features, functions, and benefits. The coverage becomes almost perfunctory and redundant. And you get lost in, 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 in a blur of the same old, same old. So from a vendor perspective, from the procurement perspective, we're hoping what this does is provide you with another view into the organization from the standpoint of the values, from the vision, from what it, it, it doesn't say in terms of its functionality. Of course, we're assuming, which is rightfully so, that anyone that uh, we would bring onto the show or any e-procurement vendor would, of course, have a working platform for which there would be no issue. And uh, obviously, that, that, that's a safe bet here, but uh, generally across the board. So what is the key differentiator? And that's the objective. What, how, how, does the, how does the vendor perspective relate to these three common questions? I want to remind everyone we are broadcasting live over the uh, virtual airwaves of the Block Talk Radio Network through our studios in New York City, as we always do. But if you can't join us live, you know, that's not a problem because the entire segment is being recorded in its entirety, which means, of course, that you can tune in on an on-demand basis, which is one of the great, great features of Internet radio, and in particular, Block Talk Radio. Now, without further delay, let's welcome to the show Bonfire CEO, Corey Flatt. Corey, welcome back to the show. How are you? Thanks, John. I'm doing well. I appreciate uh, being asked back. Well, you know what, and we were talking about this a little bit in the virtual green room, and you know, and, and, and I've mentioned it, and, and not to disparage any, any anything, but you know, the the from magic quadrants to the perfunctory coverage over the years, people are, are are talking about the industry, but are they really covering the industry? Are they really making that all important connection? We were talking a little bit about that before we get into the questions that this upcoming generation of procurement professional is is more savvy, they're more connected from the standpoint of of the uh, certainly social networking, but understanding where to go and and really redefining and shaping the industry. And and you're sort of alluding to something very similar in that regard. Maybe you can sort of uh, elaborate a little bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think there's kind of 
two main things, two main shifts that are that are really happening in, in procurement today. And I think uh, Rob Hanfield does a really good job summarizing this, where there is this older generation who have been maybe pigeonholed into thinking about and operating procurement teams a, a certain way. And what's happening is procurement's being pulled into this kind of trusted advisor role or more strategic role. So when we look at that as, as a software company, as people who are making tools, we really see kind of two separate things, that there's a cultural shift that's happening where people are more savvy with, with online tools and software, but they're also now being asked to contribute to the organization on perhaps a higher level. You know, it's not just about getting the best discount you can uh, anymore. It's about participating at the beginning of projects and throughout the procurement cycle all the way uh, to the end. So there's this cultural shift, I think, that uh, most of us are likely aware of where purchasing professionals are being asked to go beyond the, the traditional kind of transactional stuff and play a larger role. And in keeping with that cultural shift, uh, our view is that there's a, a shift in the tool sets as well, that uh, the old world of having kind of a one-size-fits-all procurement suite or, you know, ERP system, that while this cultural shift is happening, that those tools are, or those platforms, those suites, those complex, expensive things are increasingly doing a less and less of a good job of actually helping the purchasers in this, this brave new world. So that's how we think about it. We think there's really two things going on. It's really largely the cultural shift, but the tool sets and the, the, what we would call the procurement stack uh, needs to be changing as well. And I, I don't think it's a surprise that there's, there's more and more uh, new technology companies entering the procurement space, and we would consider ourselves one of them. And you would certainly have a, a list on your side, John, uh, from all of the, the new wave companies that you've been talking to. But yeah, it's really those two things. Cultural mandate has, has changed, and the cultural expectation, I think, and then the technology is is following suit. So now you know it's kind of interesting because as I was listening to you speak, Corey, one of the thoughts that came to mind, believe it or not, was the Wizard of Oz and seeing behind that curtain that the Wizard of Oz was just somebody pulling a bunch of levers. And, and the reason I allude to that is because in the past, technology, especially in the ERP era, and certainly that that's my generation even before. Uh, there was a certain mystique about technology, something foreboding, something intimidating about it. And at the top of the conversation, when we, we, in my opening comments of the show, I said, you know, it's the assumption that all technology is actually going to work. I mean, we're, we're, we're no longer in that area of mystery. Is that level of comfort and certainty, uh, is that reflected possibly as well in the generational shift? I mean, you know, you, you go to, the, to, to people who are used to texting, and having three devices going on at the same time and being interconnected mm -hmm. and, and, you know, the, 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 the uh, Internet of things and humans and all these factors coming in. I mean, it, it's a given now that there is no mystery behind technology, at least not the way it used to be. Is that a factor well, when you're an e-procurement vendor? Because if you came on the scene 10, 15 years ago, for example, would it not be safe to say that you would have been potentially your solution dismissed has a bolt on to an ERP, or it's just far too simple. Uh, there's no way it can actually work. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely, John. So, so I actually have a slightly contrarian view. Like I, this, basically, what you said, I think, is true about people's comfort with technology and and those kinds of things. But 
I think there, there, there's a missing piece here, which is the fact that e-procurement technology largely has a lot of broken promises. So the last five, ten years, I think, has set people's expectations of what procurement software could be. It's set it back. I think we've all heard the two-year-long implementation horror stories of, you know, spiraling, uh, sprawling Ariba, you know, installs and adoption that never really quite gets off the ground. Uh, you know, Spend Matters had a great headline the other day. Ariba doesn't have customers, they have prisoners. So I think, yes, there's this buoyancy and excitement about procurement technology now, but I think we have to acknowledge the fact that there's also been a lot of broken promises in the last five years or so. And that's kind of the context that I see this new wave of, of procurement tools uh, coming out from. So it's not just that people are more tech-savvy in their personal life, but it's also that they can see how, you know, how uh, painful and, and perhaps not living up to the hype that procurement tools have been in the past, and they actually contrast that with these amazing things going on in their personal life, in their personal technology sphere. And I think this is true. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt, but but I I, I think I have to make this point, and I want to continue on with your other point, because there is the line between B2B and B2C being blurred completely, and and that buyers want the same experience at at work that they have at home. But, you know, when when you're talking about the rate of failure, I mean, 85%, and the numbers, some are lower, some are higher, there's no shortage of studies, 85% of all e-procurement initiatives have failed to achieve the expected results. I mean, I remember once Mm -hmm. doing a, a, a white paper talking about Hewlett-Packard, who was getting into the implementation business of these enterprise solutions, uh, not being able to successfully implement their own uh, e-procure or or, uh, ERP solution for their back-end supply chain. The the question that this raises, though, is, is this, is that in the past, if you've made the decision to implement a significantly uh, expensive, uh, long-term ERP solution and it wasn't working, and then somebody like, let's say, a Bonifier comes up or any other of the, the SaaS cloud-based models coming up saying, you know, we can do what that promised to do, but we can do it in a, in a week or a month for a fraction of the cost, up until very recently the mindset is that can't be done or if that can be done, I'm in a lot of trouble because how do I justify I do the fact that I just spent tens of millions of dollars in a couple of years of my company's life to get us nowhere. Do you see where I'm going with that, Corey? I mean, is, yeah, that, absolutely. is that the mindset? And Hanfield's suggestion is, is that it isn't just the tech savviness, which I think you're right on, but it's also the next generation coming up is not hindered by the, the whether you call it the obligations, the embarrassment, whatever you want to call it, of the fact that, you know, you don't have to spend tens of millions of dollars in two, three years in the implementation process that you can actually spend a fraction of the price, and it isn't just a bolt-on application. I mean, is, is that part of Hanfield's great divide? I, I think so, and I, I think it's – there's even a generic term for this in business, which is a sunk cost, right? You're supposed to ignore sunk costs when making a decision because you need to be evaluating your decision kind of at that moment and moving forward, and, you know, that's perhaps easy to do numerically on things, uh, but yeah, it's people's, it's people's reputation, it's people's personal initiatives, sometimes these large systems that they're pushing through, and, and there, is, there is a lot of inertia or, or resistance to 
saying, yeah, you know what's the thing that costs five million dollars? Well, it turns out that there's some, you know, new tool out there that does way better at this specific thing that we'd be better off using instead of this, uh, you know, instead of this module in our e-procurement suite that we're paying six grand a, a month for. So there is there is a, a lot of, I suppose, inertia or, or just fear of looking bad or fear of admitting that, you know, the decision maybe wasn't the right one. But I guess this is what I mean, John. The, the technology is changing quickly, right? Things that we're able to do today weren't possible a couple of years ago and maybe that huge implementation seemed like a good idea. And for tools like us, most of our customers have big ERP systems as well. It's just they do certain workflows in Bonfire instead of in their ERP system or outside of it. So I think what we're seeing is people who who have the old world mentality, let's say, or, or who are using the old world tools, it's not that they look at new tools like Bonfire and say, well, I'm going to completely scrap the old tool and, and only go to these new tools. We're seeing kind of a more gradual shift. So for us, our, our, our tool is an RFP tool. It helps organizations run RFPs helps them efficiently and quickly make really good decisions, you know, rate suppliers, those kinds of things. So what we see is it's not that our customers scrap their ERP or e-procurement systems. They just move some of the RFP workflows into Bonfire because we let them do things that, you know, their their granddad's e-procurement system isn't going to let them do. So I, I also think there's a false dichotomy here. It's not that these big dinosaur suites just stop being used and those hundreds of hours and millions of dollars that have been put into them is just kind of scrap. It's more that certain, it's just getting more fragmented. Certain workflows are, are being handled by, by younger companies like Bonfire and, and others. And effectively what we think is happening is that the stack of technologies and tools that are using is becoming more fragmented. And we've seen this happen in all kinds of other industries other than procurement. Um, and it's finally kind of eating its way into, into procurement as well. Um, so, yeah, I think there is a lot of inertia. There are a lot of sunk costs, but it's also not an all-or-nothing proposition. Uh, there are ways to kind of evolve past the, the old world without, you know, writing off this huge multi-year project. Now, you see, what's interesting about what you said there, and this is perhaps another reflection, yet another example, and why I cite the Hanfield a definite definitive break in, 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 in generational uh, gap or uh, chasm is the fact that in the past the decisions made related to technology were usually based in the IT or finance departments uh, and very rarely was procurement ever engaged in the decision making process in fact and often in many in, in many instances and I can remember this that the decision was already made as to which ERP application, for example, would be used, uh, which enterprise solution would be used, and then it would be then uh, thrust upon the procurement department, purchasing department, back then they called them, uh, and saying this is what you've got to work with, make a list of what you want to do, and we'll get to it after we get to everything else. Is that shift also part of the fact of the dynamics that are changing within the corporate enterprise itself? Are the decision makers changing? Are we dealing with people who may be in finance, may be in IT, but are also, with the advent of the CPO and, and, and the strategic importance of procurement, 
are we now getting the the introduction of these tools, as you call them, like a bonfire that isn't replacing what's there? Certainly, because there is a role for for, for ERPs in, in, or existing ERP implementations, obviously. But is there is there a shift in that regard that opens the door to make it much easier to introduce a bonfire type tool or or or, or a cloud based SaaS based model solution? Yeah, I, I think that's actually one of the key trends here, John. Is this idea that the cat's out of the bag, right? You have your CEO checking his quarterly report on his iPad on the way to the airport, right? You have your IT manager who can call up his whole server manifest on his phone at any given time. And more and more, whether you want to call this the consumerization of, of you know, B2B technology or, or, or there's lots of buzzwords out there, but what we're seeing more and more is that the final users are really kind of far more central in deciding what tools are going to be used than in the past. It's kind of a decentralization that's happening. And ironically, this trend is something that often causes problems for procurement folks because it means you have different departments and different groups of people making procurement decisions you know, uh, without kind of running it through the central uh, procurement group. So, so this idea of decentralizing, I think, there's lots of, there's lots of uh, uh, I guess, aspects to that, but it comes back to people's personal expectations of their technology. And well, now, now, now okay, day, now. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry about this, go because ahead. you know what's, what's interesting? We're, we're down to 11 minutes. Great conversation, times fly. And I, I want to use this as a segue into the technologies and the people in technologies, because we're talking about mobile supply chains, e-commerce the blurred lines between B2C and B2B and all of these, 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 these defining moments. Is that another area where the technological innovation uh, is, is sort of uh, nicely intersecting with the, the uh, procurement professional capability and understanding of the marketplace? And again, it does tie back to Hanfield's generational uh, aspect of, of, of the difference between the two. But if, if you if you're, have the technology of mobile t- uh, supply chains, if you're used to being able to integrate and use a Twitter function to search out suppliers, all of these factors coming into place, all the technology coming into place, is it not the fact that what moves the technology forward then the, 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 the generation of, of uh, procurement person, uh, the, the professional themselves? Yeah, yeah. so I think the generation, the age of, of, the, of the procurement professional, I, I do think that that is, is maybe a, a useful proxy for whether you know how 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 uh, likely it is that they are, are able to kind of make that that switch to this brave new world but I got to say like in our experience and we work with you know large public institutions private organizations purchasers of all different ages and and types and we are continually surprised uh, by our inability to predict people's, you know, appetite for new tools purely based on, you know, their age or, or their career trajectory so far. Uh, so it, it, I think the key thing here, John, is even if you're an older purchaser, you know, who's maybe not on Twitter yet or on some of these other things, and, you know, you're, you're, you're perhaps a little bit, a little bit later in your career and, and you haven't you don't have as much fluency with some of the tools coming out now, 
chances are you still have a Facebook account. You know, you still have a smartphone. You're still on LinkedIn, you know, networking with, with colleagues. So I think, by and large, the actual kind of personal technology savviness and, and advancedness for even the older generation of, of purchasing professionals, I think that a lot of them is actually higher than the knee-jerk reaction that, you know, the younger generation sometimes has. And again, we, we, we deal with big, large public institutions here, right? People who have worked in the same procurement office for 25 years, uh, and we're continually surprised by just how savvy they are when it comes to, to technology. I mean, not always, of course, but so. But you know what? So you I know think, what I like about how you know what yeah, I like about how you're, how you're how you're saying, and this is an interesting point. Kate Vitasic was on 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 uh, the segment, and. She's talked uh, and written five books, one uh, vested outsourcing, and she talked about the fact that until the dinosaurs have died away, this industry will never progress itself. Now, I, I, obviously, you know, you, you don't necessarily share those sentiments because, as you're saying, uh, there are, there, it's, not, it's not necessarily a generational factor alone because, if I understand you correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that you encounter, in many instances, people who have been in the business for 15, 20 years and are maybe more comfortable, or at least more comfortable than one would expect with the evolution of the technology, correct? Correct. Now, what, what, is it, what, what is it that makes them uniquely different than, let's say, from other people in, in, in their same generation category experience? I mean... Are, are there characteristics that you look at? I mean, you'd, you'd probably want to know this as part of being a new wave company and the technology working and, 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 and part of that innovative wave that's taking over. I mean, do you, when you look at an organization, do you actually consider those factors when you're dealing with someone? Because obviously if you're dealing with someone who's in a senior position, someone is in a position of being a decision maker, it makes far more sense to deal with what you, the type of individual or profile of an individual that you described as opposed to, Someone who who may fall into Vitasic's dinosaur uh, description. I mean, do you look at factors like that when you choose to deal with a company? Well, so so frustratingly, uh, it is actually hard. And I mean, this goes back to grade school, I suppose, where you know you're told it's hard to judge a book by its cover. But we don't have a, a very reliable way of doing that purely based on you know someone's kind of demographic profile. Uh, you know, it's it's too hard it's too hard to make snap judgments on that. But what we've actually learned, and I think this is a useful kind of paradigm, is that it seems like openness to new tools is actually really strongly correlated with um, your the way that you yourself think about best practices and how you run your purchasing team. So let me explain that. So basically being a dinosaur doesn't just mean you're a dinosaur for technology, but it also means that you have this very reactive kind of inertia-based approach to even your own processes and policies and things like that. So for us, the greatest predictor for, you know, are you, are you exploring new technologies? Are you open to that? You know, those kind of questions. The biggest predictor is actually how you view your own process. And do you view your own process as evolving and getting better and, and shifting to this more strategic role? And it's pretty apparent, John, in the first 10 minutes of a conversation, you can often get a good sense, is, is this person 
simply here to defend the status quo when it comes to their processes and policies and technology base, or, or are they not? So there's no magic bullet. You know, I, I, you know, you can get can usually form a judgment pretty quickly in conversation, and I don't want this to sound judgmental either. I, I respect the fact that different people have different views on this stuff, um, but we have found that your openness to improving your procurement team whether that's policies, whether that's being aggressive at hiring the best people. Uh, you know, a lot of things fall under that category. It's highly correlated with your openness to new tools. Well, so, see, now, I think, you know, this is an interesting – I know exactly – what's interesting about what you're saying is, and, and I, I'll, I'll tell you in a moment, it reminded me of a senior VP at Duke Energy who is near retirement, and, and it was dealing with new technology. But it seems to me what you're saying is is that the people who, regardless of age, regardless of years in the field, if they're looking at accomplishing an end objective, then the focus then becomes not on adhering to something that is familiar uh, so much as it is is achieving the best outcome. And whatever vehicle enables you to achieve the best outcome is the one that you'll choose. So you're not married to an ERP, you're not married to a, to, to a SaaS-based application, you're not structured because we've always done it this way. What you're ultimately and progressively doing is looking to push the envelope. And whatever tools are available, uh, even if it's something with which you are not necessarily familiar out of the gate, you are going to look at those tools and investigate and align yourself with the best capability. It's almost like the Henry Ford story when he, his patent for the automobile was challenged and in court they said, Mr. Ford, can you tell us how you built the engine and explain these, these complex documents? And he said, I can't, but I can certainly get the people who can. And I guess that's really what, you, what mm. you're saying in there is that mindset is, is it's the outcome we're focused on and the means by which we achieve that outcome is what we're going to strive to understand and to leverage, even if it goes outside of our comfort zone. I mean, is that, is that the best way to say it? Yeah, absolutely. That's the cultural mindset. If you have if you have that mindset, all options are at the table, right? If, but if you if you don't have that mindset, it doesn't matter how nice the software looks. It doesn't matter what it does, how inexpensive it is. You know, any of that stuff uh, kind of falls by the wayside. And, and and speaking as as one of these new wave companies, John, you know, really what we look for in our customers are people who have the right mindset, right? My job isn't to kind of force new software onto people who think their world is, is peachy keen, right? We want to we wanna have users who are trying to solve a problem and who Bonfire is a good solution for, for solving that problem. And I think, again, even, even the way the companies who offer procurement software, they're evolving this way too, right? It's not a one-size-fits-all. It's what's the right profile of customer uh, that we can actually help, that we have value alignment with. And that's the basis of our sales and marketing effort versus, you know, the one-size-fits-all flash-and-burn mentality of perhaps uh, the older generation of procurement tools. So, so I, that's, I really, the, that's the alignment, yeah, isn't it? That, I'm sorry, but that's the alignment yeah, that is, you're yeah. talking about and that we alluded to at the beginning. When you And that's part of the weaknesses in, in traditional coverage of the industry is we're not in a features, functions, benefit world. We're talking about an alignment or a realignment of shared values and approaches to problem solving. And so as much as for a bonfire, 
having the right solution and, and, and doing what it, it, it purported and promises to do is important, and in many cases this is a given. The key is is that you, you look for alignment with people who have that same approach, that same visionary approach of what's the best solution, how can we work together to make it work or to, to achieve the desired outcome. I mean, that's really the dynamics here, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is, and and there's a term for this. That it's well, I I won't I won't share the uh, marketing lecture here, but the idea is we want to work with people who believe what we believe, right? It's not my job to change people's minds about how they think about their job. I wouldn't presume to do that, but we have a set of beliefs, and we want to be connected to people who feel that same way and who are trying to get things. The, the kinds of things done that we can help them with. And this is very different from the magic quadrants and the, you know, I'm going to issue an RFP for e-procurement systems that have 10,000 feature checklists that need to be completed. It goes a lot deeper than that. And I think values is the right way to, to state it, uh, which is the term that you use. Um, and again, I, I don't think we're necessarily unique in this. I think any new way a company or, or relatively younger software company is, is going to have these values. And I think that uh, it's really an outcome of the shifting culture overall that we were talking about. Okay. Well, you know what? And, and uh, you know, we're running, we're running in the last couple of minutes. I'll have to share that story with you of the senior VP from Duke who, in championing uh, the, uh, the advent of new technology, didn't do it openly because he said, if I retire, I'm retiring in two, three years. If I if I openly uh, say yes, let's go this route and it falls apart, I don't want that to be my legacy. Conversely, if I take the risk and and it works, I'm not going to be around to enjoy it anyway. That's not that's a reflection of the values that we talk about. That's the old standard or way of thinking of things. Let me ask you one quick question: in terms of the public to private sector, and let's say now we move from the world of magic quadrants and replace it by value quadrants. Is there a difference between the two? Is there is, is the line or the differences between the mindset and the values in the public sector different from the private sector? So this is going to be a, a somewhat controversial opinion, I think, John. And uh, I'll preface it by saying I certainly don't know everything, and i got to paint with some broad strokes here, so forgive me. I don't want to offend anyone. But in our experience, we've actually found that, contrary to what a lot of people would assume, Public sector procurement folks often have a bit more of that strategic uh, view on their role already. Uh, and again, I, I realize I'm stereotyping here, but if you're a buyer for a large state university, for instance, or you're a director there, you already know that there's uh, things that you need to be taking into account that go beyond just price, right? That go beyond just being that transactional discount negotiator. And so what we've actually seen is that public sector folks often already have kind of uh, analogous thinking to this kind of new, more strategic way of approaching procurement. And, you know, there's obviously differences. Uh, it's, most, it's more indirect purchasing in, in the public sphere than you know, managing supply chains and, and things of that nature. But we've been really impressed with that, where a public purchaser already knows that there's more than one bottom line that there's an environmental bottom line, that there's strategic objectives that their organization exists to accomplish beyond just price. And in private sector, I think it's easy to demonize public sector into, well, they're just soft on price, right? They don't really care about getting a good deal. 
But I do think it goes beyond that. And I think public sector culturally, ironically, is in a better position uh, to, to kind of make this shift. And I say ironically because, unfortunately, public sector also moves slower on the technology side. So even though culturally perhaps they're already a little bit closer to where they need to be or, or where the where the the, the industry is going, uh, technologically it is harder for them to kind of bring in new tools. So it's a bit of a paradox. I think private sector still has the advantage overall in terms of freedom of of tool choice and things of that nature. But we've been really impressed with public sector. There's people out there who really care about doing their job the best that they can, being as strategic as they can, and public sector produces them at a at least at a similar rate to private sector, if not higher. You know, it's interesting, and, and maybe close with this thought. I remember giving a keynote, and a vice president from uh, Procter & Gamble came up to me, and they said, you know what the difference between the public and private sector is? And I said, okay, I'll bite. What is it? The fact is, is when we mess up in the public or private sector, we're not likely to end up on the front page of the local newspaper. And, and you know, I, I thought oh, that yeah. was kind of – I think that's part of the, the, the scope. But, I, you know, it, 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 it's kind of interesting because what you are saying is controversial and that it goes against the whole new public management uh, mantra that was first introduced, uh, you know, in, in, in the late 90s, early 2000, that the private sector had all the answers and that we had to uh, – the public sector had to emulate that, and thus you had this cross-pollination of executives from the private sector coming over to the public sector. Of course, many of those initiatives that th these uh, private sector people led uh, fared very, very poorly. So, you know, it, it, it is indeed a very, very interesting point of view. Corey, we're out of time. I've got to thank you so much for joining us today, and, and we'll have to have you back on the show again. Uh, I do, for, for listeners, if you want to learn more about Corey and his company, Bonfire, we do have the link. Uh, directly to his site. And uh, just again, Corey, thank you for sharing your thoughts. I think that uh, the perspectives you, you bring uh, certainly go beyond just that, as I said, the features, functions, and benefits type of thing that normally uh, we're, we're, we're used to dealing with. So thank you. Thanks for having me, John. I appreciate it, and anytime. And to you listening audience, thank you for your time today and sharing what is, as always, your most important asset, which is your time. Until we come at you over these same virtual airways again, I remain your host, John Hansen. Have a great day. Bye for now.